The Raleigh Wake Citizens Association. Well, let me turn my phone off. I apologize. Uh, the Raleigh Wake Citizens Association is a community-based nonpartisan advocacy organization established in 1932. We advocate for public policy that positively affects historically marginalized populations. Our goal is to empower RWCA as well as Raleigh and Wake County residents to protect, uh, to encourage, to educate and support their civic, economic, social, educational, and political advancement. For 92 years, our organization, the RWCA, has been an influential factor in supporting positive and progressive policies that reflect the values of RWCA. And to that end, we advocate for, but not limited to, access to transportation, affordable housing, quality education, increased economic development, and voter empowerment. Sonia Barnes serves as the president of the RWCA, and I'm fortunate to serve as the political action chair. At this time, we'll ask President Barnes to extend the welcome to our online guests as well as candidates. Good evening. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it is indeed an honor and a privilege to welcome you to the Raleigh Wake Citizens Association 2024 Primary Candidates Forum. We're grateful that you've joined us tonight, and we believe that tonight's forum will be an enlightening, experience that will aid you in making informed decisions as you go about choosing individuals that you would like to represent you in the upcoming 2024 election. Um, this is a crucial election. So we would like to invite each of you to join with our WCA as we work for a successful outcome that will benefit our community uh, locally, statewide and nationally. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to a productive forum. Thank you, President Barnes. At this time, we want to introduce our panelists, and I'm going to toss to LT, to Marcus, and to Sonia. And Good if evening. you'll state your name and your organization that you're with. Good evening, everyone. I'm LT McCrimmon, and I'm a member of RWCA, as well as a member of the PAC. Okay, I'm Sonia Barnes, and I'm president of RWCA, and also president of the North Carolina Black Women Empowerment Network. Thank you, Sonia. And Marcus. Yes. Good evening, everyone. My name is Marcus Bass. I have the pleasure of serving on the impact board for RWCA. I'm also the deputy director of North Carolina Black Alliance. Thank you. Candidates, you will have two minutes to provide an opening statement, followed by questions from the panelists. Each candidate should respond to the question and will have two minutes. Uh, I'm sorry, should respond to the question and will have two minutes to do so. At the conclusion of this session, candidates will have two minutes to provide a closing statement. And I want to pause to ask if there are any questions at this juncture. Hearing none, we'll toss the first question to President Barnes. Um, if elected, what three policies would you prioritize and how would you work across the aisle to enact those initiatives? And so we'll start with uh, Congresswoman Ross. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. It's great to see you virtually, though I've seen several of you 
out and about in the community. Um, I want to thank the RWCA for having this candidate forum. I've participated in these forums um, off and on over the last 20 years and have enjoyed having the RWCA's endorsement in the past, and I value it. I've also been a member of the RWCA and really appreciate the work that you do in the community. I, I am currently serving in Congress. I'm running for my third term and I served in the North Carolina General Assembly. I was elected six times representing Wake County, Raleigh and part of Southeast Raleigh and Garner. And my top priorities that affect the community have to do with number one, economic opportunity. And um, when I talk about economic opportunity, I mean access to good paying jobs, to affordable housing, to affordable health care, to affordable transportation options. I have spent my career working on all of these issues and have delivered both projects and funding to Wake County in these areas. Um, I'm sure you all know about what we did with the Inflation Reduction Act to lower the price of prescription drugs, negotiate with Medicare for our seniors, lower the price of insulin to $35. I also have secured money for affordable housing, in particular, the Kings Ridge Project over by Wake Med and Cary's first affordable housing project. And then I've worked to deliver transportation funds. I have also worked alongside the RWCA to make sure that we have better access to the ballot. Fought against gerrymandering. I got the same day voter registration at early voting passed when I was in the state legislature. And that was a huge accomplishment. And then finally, I know time is up. Um, I've been working on education issues all the way from being an attorney um, working on the Leandro case to fighting for our HBCUs as a member of the HBCU caucus and our community colleges. Happy to be with you tonight. Thank you. We will also allow two minutes for Mr. Douglas to introduce himself and to provide an opening statement. Well, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, my name is e Eugene Douglas. I came to Wake County after selling my house in Robeson County to come up here to, as a retired chemistry teacher to be near my son and his family. Um, I ran for Congress before in 2002, as well as US Senate in 1998 and 2000, but I'm a retired chemistry teacher. I've taught chemistry in starting in the Tampa area and then all over the world uh, for the last over 30 years, basically teaching, teaching students from Kazakhstan, Iraq, Micronesia, uh, the Tampa area, um, South Texas, et cetera, and basically teaching general and, and organic chemistry to college and university students of all sorts of different backgrounds. And so basically my three priorities are decrease the size of the federal government, bring responsibilities back to the states and the cities to manage your own affairs and the micromanagement that uh, Congressman Ross essentially wants to micromanage everything from a big bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., which costs taxpayers money in, in Raleigh, and basically what makes it essentially less money available for people of all backgrounds here in Raleigh that are trying to support their families. 
And basically, I, the second thing regarding my policy is I think all immigration laws should be enforced so that American citizens get priority for jobs. And that includes all people uh, who are American citizens of, of different races, creeds, et cetera, who, who, can, who should be able to get entry-level jobs out of high school or even with a GED to essentially be able to start a career and learning to, to work on the job instead of an illegal alien who gets support uh, support from elsewhere uh, to essentially uh, do that. My third priority is to essentially protect innocent human life, and that includes uh, stopping the uh, allowing of men to be involved in women's sports, essentially, and uh, essentially hijack hijack college and high school sports for women, as well as to protect innocent unborn babies who are girls from the the immoral act, just like uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson essentially calls calls the uh, the killing of babies, particularly of color, as being reprehensible. <clears throat> I totally agree with him. Thank you. We'll toss the next question to LT. You know, thing after all these years on Zoom, I will can, can control the mute button. Um, my question is, why should people vote for you? Mr. Douglas? Well, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, basically, because I've been over 30 years in real public service going out and helping students start off their college, college training, essentially of all backgrounds, to be able to have to go into the careers and have jobs at the end of their their terms. And, and basically, because of the fact that I've been involved in real public service, not essentially a phony representation of one, one certain political party that basically will not deal with others of different persuasions, and they pretend they're tolerant, but they won't they won't work with the Republicans in Congress. And so basically I feel I have responsibility to properly represent everybody in Raleigh based on the fact that I treat all people as uh, created by God for a particular unique purpose and they all deserve true representation. Thank you, Mr. Douglas. Congresswoman Ross, the same question, please. Well, um... It is just my honor to serve the people of Wake County, which I've done as an attorney and as a representative um, for more than 30 years. And so my legal background um, has been focused on both civil rights and climate change. And in both of those areas, I've been able to deliver for the people of Wake County. We um, were the first state in the South to collect racial profiling data um, so that we could combat racial profiling. Uh, we helped uh, reform the juvenile justice system, have insurance, cover contraception. I did all those things as an attorney and an advocate, and also as an attorney fought to bring more clean energy and clean energy jobs to North Carolina, particularly during the recession. As your representative, I have worked on a wide variety of things, everything from transit to 
voter, um, same day voter registration. In Congress, I helped get 11 laws passed, um, including helping sexual assault victims, helping first time inventors, having more judicial ethics, and again, work on climate change. Um, we are, I'll be very brief, we have also returned more than $2 million to the citizens of the second congressional district, either through um, IRS refunds, uh, social security, VA benefits. And I am very dedicated to person to person contact within the district and providing the best service to my constituents. Thank you so much. We have had, we have another panelist joining us. Diana, if you will introduce yourself and tell us what agency you're representing or what organization you're representing. Yes, thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Diana Powell. I'm an executive director of Justice Serve in North Carolina, statewide outreach coordinator for Second Chance Alliance. Also, I'm a member of Raleigh Boots on the Ground. Um, I am representing all three, uh, but mostly Justice Serve in North Carolina. Glad to be here. And Diana, could you pose your questions to the candidates, please? Um, actually, I didn't get the question. Okay. Do you have a question that you would like to ask yes. individuals seeking the position uh, to Congress? Yes. Um, being a, a community organizer in, uh, in Wake County and around the state, um, we are faced with so much uh, homelessness and uh, people are being displaced with families that are living in and out of hotels. These are families that are working. It's just not enough. Uh, they're not making enough to sustain them. And so my question is, how will you um, help us help them uh, with bringing effective resources um, around this issues, especially around emergency housing? I know we have the, the um, affordable housing and, and low-income housing. I know we have all that, but I'm talking about emergency housing um, to move them to the next phase. Thank you, Diana. And we'll toss to Congresswoman Ross. Well, what a great question and what an important question, particularly now in the winter. Um, I have been working on affordable housing in all of its forms, everything from helping the homeless to having more housing accessibility um, since I have been a public servant. And so I have worked to make sure that we have more money for affordable housing and help for our homeless through Congress. Um, I do not wanna take all the credit for that because Congressman David Price was a real leader for that in Congress. And I had the great opportunity to work alongside him and vote for one of the largest expansions in housing assistance from the federal government that we've had. In addition to that, I've worked very closely with our county commission on finding more ways to deal with emergency housing and affordable housing. Um, two areas where I've worked on that, one for the persistently homeless was the Kings Ridge project. 
I'm also working on a way to get more housing for foster kids who just simply age out of the system and then they have nowhere to go. So in addition to having federal supplements to what we do locally, I am doing everything that I can. Um, and when it comes to mental health, I have gotten funding for the mental health center that Wake Med is building. And we know that so much emergency housing is needed by people with persistent mental illness. Thank you, Representative Ross. I'm sorry, Congresswoman Ross, I do apologize. Thanks. And we want to toss to Mr. Douglas. Uh, yeah, well, my policy is that I basically believe all these responsibilities should come back to the state and local level, that basically if, if the federal government has the money and then dispenses it, it comes with a lot of regulations that doesn't need to be there, particularly if they're duplicative of state policies. And essentially, any money that's available from taxpayers that go to Raleigh, to go to Washington, D.C., to support a huge bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., should stay here in Raleigh to handle these, these things on the local level. And that involves working with churches, uh, groups like the Salvation Army, uh, groups with 12-step uh, programs that essentially will work with individuals to essentially have it be a more private uh, private effort to essentially, uh, you know, we're dealing with a $31 trillion debt. Money doesn't grow on trees. Unfortunately, the Democratic Party likes to dispense money as if it does grow on trees, and we got a responsibility for our kids and grandkids to essentially start paying back the debt, and that means bringing responsibility, ending the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., back to local people, back to local churches, back to local groups like the Salvation Army and, and other groups that could essentially be much more efficient in helping people on an individual <clears throat> level get legitimate things. But I think that public housing, there needs to be drug testing, it, it, the, the housing projects need to be cleared up of all drug dealers and others who essentially abuse the system. So essentially they, that people who live in those things could be confident of being safe, secure, and, and have their kids go out and, and play. And that means enforcing law, that means dealing with the gangs and others that infest public housing, and essentially doing something at the local level to change the policy away, to promote families, to essentially enable husbands to stay home with their families, and so that basically the family unit could be restored to the Black community as well, particularly because so many, so many kids grow up in broken homes where basically a lot of kids uh, rarely see their fathers and that needs to change but at the local church and <clears throat> level thank you and we'll toss to mr bass well yes um so this question is um related to access to education uh, north carolina is uh, a state that is ranked at the tops of education and at the federal level um, policy mandates like no child left behind uh, have left many children behind. Uh, in your uh, position from your candidacy, um, what do you think are the prospects or your positioning around access to uh, sound basic quality education at a congressional level? Uh, we'll start with Congresswoman Ross. 
Well, thank you for that question. And um, thank you for mentioning the state constitutional right to a sound basic education, which um, has been upheld multiple times by our Supreme Court in the Leandro case, um, which I was involved in at the very, very beginning as, a, as an amicus. Unfortunately, that case is back before the Fed before the state Supreme Court. And I'm very fearful that that right will not be protected quite as well. When it comes to the federal government, there is no federal constitutional right to a sound basic education. But there are two ways that the federal government is on the hook for children who don't have means and these are Title I children, so they're poor children, um, not necessarily of any particular race, but they're children who are eligible for free and reduced price lunch and who need particular assistance. And the federal government funds extra services for our Title I schools and our Title I children, and that helps them get a sound basic education because not all of our school systems have enough money for that additional funding. The second thing that the federal government does is provide rights for students with disabilities. Um, the states simply did not give students with disabilities sufficient access to funds and special education plans to be able to reach their true potential. I don't believe that the federal government has lived up to its funding obligations there. Um, and so in that way, I think that the federal government should supplement what we provide to help our children with disabilities. Um, Wake County in particular has been very, very good with both of these populations. Thank you, I heard you, Michael. I will wrap up. Thank you. Mr. Douglas, the same question. Well, well, basically, I, I I believe that the Department of Education needs to be closed down and the bureaucracy that goes with it, and any monies that would be used to support that would essentially remain here in North Carolina for the for the state's representatives to dispense in an appropriate manner to fit local needs. And that means truly looking after those who are disabled or whatever else. But what's happening with the federal government now and the Biden administration uh, they're actively supporting 12 million illegal aliens coming across the border, essentially taking away money that should should support our local communities and essentially uh, trying to essentially uh, uh, borrow money, uh, essentially forcing our kids and grandkids kids to eventually have to repay it and essentially supporting a bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. through the Department of State that essentially waste the funds that goes to these illegal aliens when they should get in line along with the other ones trying to immigrate here legally. And that is part of the major problem and the discontinuity between what Congressman Ross wants and her pre pretense that, that the federal government has loads of money to dispense at the local level. <clears throat> in reality, it shouldn't get it in the first place. It should remain here in, in the things for communities that look out for their own, and that includes looking after the disabled and the disadvantaged in a proper way. But but someone asked about drug testing and such like that. Yes, I believe that, that there should be drug testing and drug dealers should be removed from public housing 
and essentially essentially those who are law-abiding <clears throat> supporting their families appropriately they should be the ones to to essentially be be uh have the blessing of a place to live that's safe for their kids and safe to walk outside thank you and i would also ask uh, do you agree that it's most important to vote along party lines to advance your party priorities? If yes, why or why not? And I'll toss to Mr. Douglas. Well, uh, uh, the Republicans historically have been willing to work with responsible Democrats to come up with legitimate solutions for uh, for um, for legitimate solutions for real problems that affect all people in U.S. But essentially, the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress since the early 2000s essentially decided that they will not work with Republicans, that they may promise that they will, but they will not work with Republicans to come up with legislation to essentially work to solve, solve problems across party lines. And essentially, what the Democrats want to do is divide people by getting into critical race theory and DEI that essentially end up discriminating against other people because of the fact that they have the wrong color or, or the wrong background. Essentially, what, what it does is it essentially enables illegal aliens and others that come in of certain backgrounds that are favored, essentially get preferential treatment that, than the people who are here, whether it be Native Americans or African Americans or Hispanic Americans that have been here for decades and generations, that essentially that they're being deprived of jobs and a livelihood because essentially the Biden administration has decided that they're going to support illegal aliens and essentially enable them to take away the jobs of local people. Thank you. And we have one question from um, the chat, and I'll bring this question. Uh, how will you help to minimize the trauma and the systematic segregation that's in place that causes mental illness, uh, that causes the majority of drug use? And I can repeat that if needed. Is that for me or is that for Mr. Douglas? Talk to you, Congresswoman Ross. Okay. Um, well, first of all, to your earlier question about um, bipartisan work, uh, I want you to know that the vast majority of the legislation that I have gotten through Congress has been bipartisan. I do a tremendous amount of work with uh, Senator Tillis, um, two of the bills that I got signed into law. He was the person who carried them on the Senate side. Clearly he's a Republican. I did work on offshore wind with Congressman Rouser, work on PFAS with Congressman Hudson. So um, I work across the aisle. I will say that in this election in particular, given that we have divided government and gridlock, my experience when I um, was in my first term in Congress um, was much better with getting bipartisan bills through like the infrastructure bill and um, the Chips and Science Act. So um, I think that uh, the Democrats have delivered 
And I hope that you will vote for me and a ticket that will allow us to deliver again. As for mental health, I've been working on these issues for a long time. My dad is a retired psychiatrist. Um, it is so important that we treat mental health as health care and that we have enough providers and insurance that covers mental health care. It's been a stigma in the past to seek mental health care and even more of a stigma in certain communities. We need to erase that stigma and let people know that they are seen, heard, and appreciated. And there is somebody there who they can talk to. And it may not be their family, or it may not be their faith institution. That Those would be, of course, our first two places that we would hope people would go. But some people need to get help from professionals who understand how to make them feel whole and purposeful. Thank you. Same question to Mr. Douglas. How will you help to minimize the trauma and the systematic segregation that's in place that causes the mental illness that caused the majority of drug use? Again, the question is from the audience. Well, well, I disagree. I I, I frankly think that the issue, the issue is one of uh, uh, of the people who are mentally ill are suffering consequences from their bad moral choices, as the bishop would attest, would probably agree with me, that basically that those people who cho choose a moral lifestyles will suffer consequences because of that. And I do not believe that it's a federal responsibility to micromanage uh, churches and other private organizations here in Raleigh or here in North Carolina to dictate how they should help the mentally ill and essentially support, uh, essentially the federal government essentially plays no role in helping 12-step programs exist in various churches and such like that, because essentially what they like to do is essentially interfere with that because of the fact, particularly the democratic organizations want to remove God from the equation and remove personal responsibility, which essentially uh, causes people to be confused about why they may have this mental illness or my, why they choose what they do. And essentially when the Bible says very clearly, if people choose to disobey God's, God's law, they will suffer consequences for it because it will affect even the innocent family members among them. And if they're drunken fathers who are essentially abusive to their wives and families, that the real victims are the kids that have to grow up in that atmosphere and adults have the responsibility to change their own behavior first. So that essentially the, the problem does not perpetuate itself because the sins of the fathers are visited on the kids to the third and fourth generation. And that's got to, that has can only happen through churches and through people who recognize they have personal responsibilities for the consequences that, that they get because they choose to abuse alcohol or abuse drugs and essentially to quote unquote cope instead of making good moral choices. And another from the audience, uh, we hear about the workers, but they don't hire themselves. What penalties do you propose for corporations and business business owners who hire undocumented workers? 
Well, well, frankly, I believe that we need to go for full uh, e-hire, essentially, that, uh, that, per, per, that essentially provides jobs to American citizens first, then green card holders and those who are here legally. And those who are here, not here legally should not be given asylum automatically and then be told to show up in five years to essentially uh, have a hearing. Because with, basically with 12 million people coming in every year under the Biden administration into these things, what it essentially does, it essentially empties the entry level job market to essentially getting people from Guatemala who just get a work visa, essentially emergency work visa because they come here as, as, uh, as illegal immigrants and essentially uh, wipes out wipes out the entry level job market for people here in Raleigh, and that that is the Biden administration's thing. And that and Congressman Ross essentially wants to pretend she's helpful and everything else in all these different areas, but in reality, until the until the problem of illegal immigration is solved, all these things will never be resolved because the money is going elsewhere to help settle illegal immigrants. Um, thank, thank you. Um, the first thing I would like to point out to the panel and to the audience is not once have I disparaged my opponent, not once. And part of being a good public servant is knowing that you represent everyone regardless of whether or not they vote for you and that you serve everyone regardless of whether or not they vote for you. And I'm very proud that my office treats everyone with dignity and respect. We do have an e-verify system that um, makes sure that anybody who employers hire is here legally. And so that has been put into effect both at the federal and the state level. What I hear from employers, and this is from the Farm Bureau, this is from the Hotel Motel Association, this is from Walmart, which I went to visit um, earlier this week, this is from the Chamber of Commerce, is that we are at historic low for unemployment and we cannot find workers and that they would like to have us have more ways to have legal immigration, legal immigration, so that they can find the workers that they need because they simply cannot find enough workers. I think the combination of changing our laws in ways that help business and our economy and having employers follow the law, that is the way to go. Thank you. Are there other questions from our panelists? Yes, I have one, uh, Michael, uh, addressing to Mr. Douglas, please. The question will go to all of the candidates. The question would be the same for all the candidates. And will you please introduce yourself and share what organization you represent? Um, I'm Bishop Clarence McClain, and I am with the RWCA um, and uh, enjoy what I do. But Mr. Douglas made 
a statement. One of them was concerning mental health. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Bishop McLean, you can only ask a question. Okay. You can only you can only ask the question to both candidates. Okay. How do you define mental health being a product of family ties? As per what you said. Well, should I answer first? Yes. Yeah, well, I have a Master of Divinity degree. I've got a theological degree that basically that I got from Bethel Theological Seminary in San Diego. And basically, as a Christian, I believe that if people make immoral choices, it will affect their mind. And essentially, they will try and, and use other many different means, whether it be alcohol or or illegal drugs or even hydrocodone or whatever else to essentially assuage the guilt that they might feel and essentially the, the, the cause that causes the damage to the to themselves and to other people because of the fact that they choose to have sex outside of marriage they they choose to be uh, adulterous uh, violating their marital vows to to essentially stealing from other people to all these different things and those all bring emotional consequences because the fact is that God will try and convict them of their sin and get them to repent so that they can start behaving as appropriate adults instead of essentially people who are unwilling to grow up. And I see that as a theological issue that basically each person has responsibility for their own, for their own actions. And if they choose to disobey God's word or whatever else, they will suffer the consequences for it because... The Bible is very clear what people sow, they reap. Thank you, Mr. Douglas. Congressman Woman Ross. Yeah. Um, so as I said before, um, my dad practiced psychiatry for many years. Um, but what I've learned um, as an advocate for the mentally ill is that the vast majority of mentally ill people don't commit crimes, don't have alcohol abuse or substance abuse, um, don't do some of the things that Mr. Douglas was talking about. Yes. They have a an illness. That's right. And that illness deserves to be treated. Now, there are plenty of people who are upset and act out and do things that are in, inappropriate and have some depression or something else. But fundamentally, mental illness is like a physical illness. And we need to help people who have um, mental illness. And we can do that sometimes through medication. We can do it sometimes through therapy. We can do it sometimes through a combination of those things. But I think blaming somebody for having a mental illness is the wrong way to approach dealing with mental illness. Um, and we should be more compassionate and more Christian in how we deal with people who have mental Thank illness. You. Thank you. And we will have a final question from the audience. 
that is black babies and mothers are 16 times more likely to die during delivery or before their first birthday. What will you do to address the infant mortality and maternal death rates in North Carolina? Again, what will you do to address the maternal death rates in North Carolina? And we'll talk to toss to Mr. Douglas. Well, uh, well, I believe that basically is is encourage individual mothers to go to uh, maternal health clinics at, at the appropriate time to get the, the proper support. And I'm talking about pro-life clinics, not clinics that are essentially designed to kill babies before they're born, who just happen to be of the of uh, the eugenics inferior races thing of which Planned Parenthood was set up in the first place because there, there are millions of babies that die through, through abortion. And uh, Mark Robinson has made that very clear that essentially the murdering of babies before birth is a much bigger problem than the death or, or, or illnesses of babies after birth here in the US because there've been millions of babies killed of girls and boys essentially because because Planned Parenthood puts their clinics in into uh, communities where a lot of minorities exist, where people are struggling with trying to support their families and essentially would prefer to have them killed first before they're born instead of properly caring for them through churches and other organizations. And the mental illnesses that I'm talking about that need to be treated are those caused on the victims of these mental illness who have mental illnesses now because their parents are the ones that essentially brought it on their kids because the kids are the real victims, whether they're killed before birth, <clears throat> they suffer at the hands of abusive parents who essentially are selfish and decide that they want to sell drugs or use drugs or alcohol inappropriately. Thank you. Congresswoman Ross. Um, well, the main thing that I have done to try to deal with this very serious problem is expand Medicaid in North Carolina, which finally we have done, because we know that healthy women who have access to health care are more likely to have healthy babies and less likely to suffer during childbirth. And so because um, many women have not have had access to good health care before they got pregnant, once they got pregnant, they had riskier pregnancies. And then up until just recently, we didn't even provide postpartum care to women who had babies. So we were certainly um, doing a fine job for the child, but not for the mother. And we know that it, a mother and a child together make a family. And so I am thrilled that the legislature finally um, expanded Medicaid. It did that in part because the Congress that I served in offered North Carolina almost $2 billion to do that and help defray the costs. And I'm very proud of that. And I hope it will lead to better maternal and child outcomes. Thank you. We will begin with our closing statements. Mr. Douglas, we will first ask that you provide two minutes for closing statements, followed by Congresswoman Ross. Well, I wanna thank you for the opportunity to speak to you, uh, speak to you all. 
Um, as I said before, I've been teaching chemistry for over 30 years from in true public service, helping students starting off in college to continue to go through. And what I've seen all along is that are pe people that are willing to do the work and earn the grades they get without getting a handout or without getting grades they did not earn, essentially have the future, uh, the, uh, a very good future in store, just like uh, Justice Thomas on the Supreme Court, who started off in a very difficult family situation in Georgia. His, he had loving grandparents that encouraged him to study and do all sorts of things. And now he's a Supreme Court justice and uh, people like Thomas Sowell, as well as, as, well as uh, Walter Williams and uh, George Washington Carver, Frederick Douglass and others who have also been from uh, slave backgrounds or other things like that have excelled just by their hard work and earned, earned, the, earned the notoriety they got. Essentially, it shows that essentially people of character willing to do the work and essentially be responsible people, be responsible parents, essentially. And that's what we have to encourage our people on the individual level. And that includes through churches, through true social organizations. And uh, please don't get the wrong idea that I don't support Medicaid. I believe <clears throat> that Medicaid is appropriate for, for people who, who truly need it. But I do not believe the federal government should be involved in much of this because essentially the federal government wastes taxpayers' money. And that's what essentially what we need to do to change that. Thank you. Your closing comments, Congresswoman Ross. Well, I just want to thank the panel and everybody who joined this evening um, for such thoughtful questions. They really reflect what's on the mind of people in the community. I have been all over Wake County and um, want you to know that I appreciate how thoughtful and informed this this um, whole panel discussion has been. I also want you to know that it's my honor to serve you in Congress. Uh, I will continue to do my best to have both me and my staff um, provide the highest level of service to everyone who we represent, regardless of whether or not you vote for us. And I look forward to seeing everybody out and about in the community. Um, I'm actually the most excited about this race for Congress because we can get out like we did um, before the coronavirus. And I um, have enjoyed everything from the Martin Luther King March to um, being in community centers and schools and really look forward to seeing everybody on the campaign trail. I would be honored to have your endorsement again and even more honored to have your vote. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. We appreciate your taking time to share your views and your values with us. Thank you again for joining. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Douglas.